Hi, everybody. This is Science Modeling Talks, the podcast that features top modeling instructors and thought leaders sharing ideas. I'm your host, Mark Royce. Remember to visit sciencemodelingtalks.com to access extra content related to our interviews and to learn more about our guests. While you're there, share your thoughts and comments by clicking the link that says, Tell us what you think. We really want to hear from you. Okay, let's get started with today's episode. My guest for this episode is Brian Battaglia, a 24-year science teacher from Maycomb, Michigan. He attended Purdue University and earned a BS in genetic biology with the intent to go into cell biology or marine biology in grad school. But he decided that he wanted to teach and went back to Purdue to get his teaching certification. Brian got a job as a middle school teacher for his first 10 years of teaching. At that point, they needed more bio teachers at the high school level, so he jumped at the chance. At the high school, they asked him if he'd be willing to teach a section of physics. That led him to his first modeling mechanics workshop for the summer of 2010. After that, his schedule at the school became more physics-oriented. He was recruited to come to the district's IB program two years later and now teaches physics full-time. Brian moved his program to start physics first, so all ninth graders take physics, which he teaches using the computational version with Bootstrap. His junior and senior classes are a mix of standard and higher-level IB students, which he also teaches through modeling. Here's my interview with Brian. Hi, Brian. Hi, Mark. How are you? I'm doing well. And you? Doing well. Yeah. Are you? Are you guys today? You guys got beautiful weather. Uh-huh. Yeah. It's a it's a hundred. It's a hundred and six here in Fresno. <laughs> yeah, I don't I don't miss that. We were in Arizona last summer for a workshop and. Uh, I did not know what heat was until June in Arizona, <laughs> Phoenix, Arizona. It's 116 there today. Yeah, I'm not missing that at all. <laughs> yeah, we kind of check in with Phoenix because Brenda has so many connections there and stuff. So. <laughs> that's funny. 116 is ridiculous. No, that's so. And they're just they're just cruising above 110 right now for yeah. several days. And and, uh, and people I, choose to live there. I'm just it shocks yeah. me. <laughs> It's nice in the winter. I'm sure. I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. So, so tell our listeners where you are currently teaching and what uh, courses you're teaching. Uh, I'm, I'm currently teaching uh, in a suburb of Detroit, Michigan, uh, Sterling Heights. Um, Utica School District is the district that I'm in. And uh, I teach... Uh, freshman physics. We do a physics first at my school, and my school is actually an IB school. Uh, it's a, a public IB school. It's part of the district, so it's like a, a runs as a separate academy. So I have uh, junior and senior level IB students, and then I have freshmen that I teach as well. And all the freshmen that come into our program take physics first as their first awesome. science class. Yeah. Yeah, my wife's a strong believer in physics first. Um, you know the term IB. Uh, is something I'm just learning. It's international something. It's kind of like AP. Yeah, International Baccalaureate is what it stands for. It's a uh, worldwide curriculum. So um, there's a Cardiff, Wales is like the home office of it. And and there's IB schools all over the the globe um, that all kind of share similar criteria, uh, curriculum, 
guides and things of that nature. So uh, there's there's IB testing that happens every May, much like AP testing. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in my school, all the all the students that are at my school are full diploma candidates, which means they they are involved in all parts of it and take anywhere from fifteen to twenty different exams over the month of May uh, in order to get their IB diploma, which is an additional documentation separate from their high school diploma. If they do well enough and meet certain criteria, they can get an IB diploma on top of that. Yeah, that's cool. So a student with an IB diploma is going to have an easier chance of getting into a, a program overseas or, you know, somewhere else around the globe. Absolutely. There's some advantages to, to getting there. And, and some kids uh, worldwide, you know, it's it's even a uh, criteria to get into a university or college. Um, United States, that's not as, as big of a deal. But um, a lot of the kids, if they do well in their IB classes, especially there's two levels. There's a standard level and then there's a higher level. And a lot of colleges will give college credit for uh, certain scores in higher level Version So, like, I know um, physics, uh, the, the sco- scale goes from one to seven. If you get a five, um, a lot of universities will give up to, like, ten credits of physics for getting a five on the IB exam. Wow, cool. How do you see the difference in teaching IB versus just regular physics, if you will? Um it's it's a lot. I, the IB course itself is a two-year program, so there, it's more than just, you know, we, we mm. cover pretty much the whole gamut of physics. So we'll go through mechanics and electricity waves and things like that, and then we even get into some of the, uh, you know, non-Newtonian stuff in the quantum physics and nuclear physics type stuff towards the end. Um, mm-hmm. And then students get an option. There's four different options, although the curriculum is going to change next year, so we're eagerly uh, anticipating what changes are going to happen to the physics curriculum next year. Yeah, I think the difference between uh, IB physics and normal and like a traditional physics class is just the depth. We go a lot deeper because it's a two-year course, so you're allowed to, um, you know, explore some topics a little bit more than you probably would have time in a single-year course. Cool. How do you find that you, uh, using modeling instruction in your classroom integrates with your IB curriculum you know, requirements? I, I think it works really well because um, IB kind of emphasizes um, understanding. It, it's a lot about conceptual understanding and things like that that go along with that. And I think um, from what I understand, AP instruction used to be a lot more here's all the information that you need to do and kind of regurgitate it back. And they changed the AP curriculum to be a lot more conceptual, kind of like the IB um, curriculum. So I think that there's been some some comparisons with that. But I found that my students do really well. Um, you know, we spend a lot of time developing our, our kinematics and all of our models that we've used, energy models, momentum, and things like that. And then they're, my students are able to see you know, how all of those are just applied in all the other areas because, you know, E&M is just applied kinematic models and energy models and, and momentum. And so once they understand those basics, I think it's a, it's a lot easier for them to see the same patterns in the different contexts that we explore. Yeah, that's very cool. So tell me how you first got introduced to modeling instruction for your classroom. 
So, uh, yeah, I have a, an interesting thing, because unlike most physics teachers, uh, I was not a physics teacher trained. I was a bio major. That's what I studied. I studied uh, huh. genetic biology at college at Purdue University, and I uh, had intended to go into maybe cellular biology, cancer research, something like that was what I was thinking. Um, I also was thinking maybe marine biology, but I didn't really know where I was going. So after I graduated from undergraduate, I tried to... Um, kind of figure out where I was going to go. So I took like a year off while I was deciding what I wanted to do with my life. And in that time, I was working in a lab and realized I really didn't like working in a lab so much. And I had uh, taught a class as an undergraduate. Uh, I was a TA for a lab, a bio lab, and I really enjoyed that. And I was like, you know what, maybe teaching is where I should go. And so I went into that. And then uh, long roundabout way, I was a bio teacher that was hired at a junior high that did not teach biology. It was the only one in the district that didn't have any bio classes because we didn't have ninth <laughs> graders. And that's what I thought. But I was like, hey, it's a job. I'm doing it. So they uh, rearranged the curriculum and had biology move to the 10th grade. So they needed bio teachers to go to the high school. And I'm like, hey. That's what I studied to do, to become a biology teacher. So I went there, and they're like, hey, can you teach physics? Sure, why not? I've done physical science for 10 years. It'll be easy. <laughs> yeah, I made, it, I made it two weeks into physics going, I don't know what I'm doing at all. So I, uh, I actually had encountered a modeling workshop as a three-week physics mechanics thing. So I didn't really know anything about modeling at the time, but I just knew that uh, there was a three-week workshop that I could take and maybe I would know some more physics content. So I said, sign me up. And uh, it, it changed everything about the way I teach and everything I think about teaching. Um, it was really cool. I had considered myself to be a constructivist style teacher, but I didn't actually know what that really meant until I took my modeling workshop. And I'm like, oh, this is how you do that. Uh -huh. So that was cool for me. So it kind of opened up that innate thing that was in you, but you didn't have the training yet to, for it to fully be realized. Yeah, I thought it was kind of uh, kind of ironic that through my teacher preparation classes, they kept saying, you need to, they would lecture me on how to be a constructivist teacher. And <laughs> it wasn't until my first modeling workshop that I was like, oh, this is what you mean. And this is how we have students actually build their knowledge and their understanding. Yeah. So that was in uh, 2010. And, uh, you know, it's been... Well, I would not say smooth sailing ever since. It was a, it was a struggle at first, but it, you know, as I'm learning what I'm doing and, and figuring things out, but boy, it's a, what a change in my instruction and in my students' understanding. Yeah, that's awesome. So 12 years you've been at it in modeling instruction. Yes. And so at this time, at this point in your career, what do you think are your strengths as a modeling instructor? What, what are the things that you really bring to the table? Um, so I think modeling instruction was difficult for me at first because uh, I had, I was a bit of a know-it-all when I came mm -hmm. into this. And uh, that, I think, was the biggest change for me was to, to just stop talking and listen to my kids and figure out what, what they are doing and uh, you know I remember my first workshop that my instructors kept asking me you know do this as if your students were doing it do the answer these questions like your students would and I was like I have no idea what my students thought or would how would they would answer that was really mm -hmm. a struggle for me so I think that has shaped me to make sure that I'm just really listening to my students and figuring out what they know um, and so I think 
that's probably what I've gotten best at is just being quiet and listening to my students and, and asking them to really uh, explain what, they, what they're thinking more deeply. Um, yeah. So I think that that's probably my, my strength. Cool. That, that's a, a really important part of, I know, the modeling approach in, in the classroom. So that's great. Um, so is there, um, is there a secret that you've learned that you wish you knew before modeling that you've come to realize that you can share, a secret that you can share with others, especially those who might be starting out? Yeah, I, I think uh, the thing that surprised me every year that I've been a modeler is that my kids are capable of more than I ever thought they were. And I think it's because I didn't really listen to them before. And so I didn't, you know, in every time I think, well, this challenge is too big, they're not going to be able to handle it. And then they do. And they're like, and what's next? Um, so I think that's for me has been the best is that I've, I've just really appreciate how much my students are able to do and, and how much students really want to learn. Like, like, mm. you know, you hear some teachers talk about, you know, all these kids today and stuff like that. And I've never experienced a, Oh, these kids today moment because my mm. kids want to learn. I think all people want to know and they want to know how the world works. And when you give them an opportunity to actually like do something important that they're figuring out that you haven't given them the answer, you know, you're, you're not telling them, what they expect to see just hey look at this what can we find out and they get so excited by just figuring out what seems to be a mundane thing but because they discovered it it's mm. meaningful right right how awesome is it to like oh yeah you you discovered this thing that newton came up with a long time ago but we didn't need him we were able to figure it out without this guy wow so you're finding that even in your ninth grade students, that oh, absolutely. Quali- quality, yeah. Absolutely. That's really cool. What is your favorite area of uh, your curriculum that you love to teach that, and maybe that you find the most impactful with your students? Is there something that during the year you go, this is the part where it's really awesome? You know, I, I think for me it's it's – even the very beginning, it's, it's when I'm developing my classroom culture and, and I'm convincing kids that they are capable of way more than they ever thought. You know, I, I love when I get a student who tells me at the beginning of the year they're not a science kid and then they just discover amazing things and, and just make connections that they never thought possible. And even if they're, you know, they go down to the end, they're like, you know, physics is not my favorite class, but I really appreciated what you did. And, and, you know, and I feel like I've learned a lot. Um, I, I think for that, for me, that's, that's better than any curriculum material that I use, right? Like there's not a content that I'm like, man, if they get this, I'll consider myself successful. For me, it's more, can you think critically? Can you reason? Can you argue using evidence? It's all those important things that, that if you ask a science teacher what they want their kids to learn, very rarely does that anyone say that it's a content. I, I don't, content is just, it's, it's the, you know, the condiment that you put on a burger that makes it a little bit more <laughs> enticing. The, the burger yeah. is, is scientific literacy. It's the, it's the development of a, a critical thinker. And I think that's the important bit. And if I don't get through all of the physics curriculum in a year, I'm okay with that. 
you know, especially for my freshmen, for my, for my IB students, I find that because they were prepped as freshmen with this way of thinking, um, and, you know, I, I'm lucky in the fact that I'm working with other modelers, so I have a, a chemistry teacher who, who does modeling with them in, in sophomore uh-huh. year and just continues, you know, the progress that I did. And by the time they come back as a junior, you know, I find that they have very little drop-off from freshman year, and we just pick up right where we left off and we keep going. Um, you know, and a lot of the curriculum is is just applied, right? If we if we take classical mechanics, you take these these models, energy model, momentum model, um, motion models, and you apply them to new situations. That's electricity and magnetism. That's waves. It's it's all just interactions that they've studied just in a new context. And so I find that my students are really successful at starting to see these patterns and being able to identify. And I think that's why modeling works so well with the IB because um, the IB exams, the assessments at the end, it's never like, here's an electricity question, answer all these questions. It's always about, you know, it starts as an electricity question and then goes to momentum and then goes to, you know, all these different other aspects of it. And it's very rare that a question on an IB exam is like in one content lane or one topic, right? It, it branches three, four, five different to- topics. And so my students have to be able to like identify what's important, what models are actually being used in this question so that they can answer them effectively. And I think that's where my students thrive is that ability to see those connections and how to look at things in different with, you know, the different model. You're, what you were just sharing is very interesting to me because one of the quotes that I read from you it, that I wanted to pursue, and you started it right there, but you said, I think teachers, I think we teachers get so caught up in the content that we forget it's only one-third of what we're actually supposed to teach. Yeah. And w- so I'm curious, when you say it's one-third, what's the other two-third? So... Uh when I first started teaching uh, in Michigan, we used the Magosi frameworks, and it was uh, it was a list of three different things. There was like constructing knowledge, reflecting on knowledge, and then the content knowledge. Those were the three aspects. And you looked through the constructing and reflecting, and it was like developing a lab or thinking scientifically or things like that. And as a new teacher, I remember looking at that and going yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. Yeah, I do that. And then just focusing on the content and like all the rest of the stuff is, is going to be there. And that was like the, the content was the burger and all the constructing reflecting was like the condiments. And then I realized, uh, I think mostly after modeling instruction, uh, training that I had it all backwards, that Hmm. the content is right. Like, I mean, anything that I want to know, I can go to the computer, I can do a Google search, and I can figure out anything, right? Like, information is easy to obtain, but is that information accurate? Do, do these things make sense? How, how do I get that? And that's the part that I think, as science educators, we need to focus on, is that. The problem is, is that, you know, if you look at most standardized tests and things like that, they tend to focus on the content area as a way to, to know if your students have learned things or not. And that's unfortunate, right? It's, those are easy questions to write. They're easy mm. questions to grade. But the mm. important questions, the stuff that, like how do we actually think scientifically and how do we actually process information and, and accept the validity of, of our 
observations, that's the important stuff. That's what we really need to focus on. Um, yeah. And so, you know, you look at like NGSS now where you have, um, you know, even that has, has three different strands. There's the core content, but then there's also, you know, your um, engineering and science and engineering practices, your cross-cutting concepts. And those are the big ideas that overarch all science. So like energy, developing an energy model is not just useful for physics. It's useful for every science discipline because energy is like, one of the core ideas for anything. So, right, being able to think about energy and develop some sort of useful model for energy that we can use in all contexts is way more important to me than, you know, Newton's second law. We'll be right back to the interview, but I want to encourage you to check out the AMTA's Meet a Modeler series on YouTube. You can learn about featured modelers by visiting the AMTA YouTube channel at youtube.com slash C slash AMTA teachers. That's youtube.com slash C slash AMTA teachers. This is a great resource to use if you're leading or taking a workshop or modeling course this summer. Now, back to our interview. So... Talk to me a little bit about what you have learned or what your perspective is on the process of learning, student learning. Okay, this is kind of extends that idea of content is the least <laughs> of what you need to teach. So I know you've given some thought to how people learn and especially your students. Talk to us about what you've learned over the years. Um, I think the most important lesson that I've learned is that the thing that I've discovered, I think, is that learning is collaborative. That's free for them to share their ideas, even if they're not the, the idea that everyone else has, um, and to be able to explore these ideas and really challenge those things. Um, you know, no learning happens if, if you're afraid to have your ideas or your thoughts evaluated by somebody else if, if you're working in a vacuum you're, you're not going to get pushback on your own ideas and there's no reason to ever change those ideas so I think um, you know one of the things I strive to do in class is develop that culture where kids feel safe to bring up ideas we celebrate incorrect answers as much as we celebrate correct answers because it's through disproving ideas that we have more confidence in in what we eventually deemed to be the correct answer. And I think, um, you know, giving time for students to be able to explore that and, and develop those ideas, right? You, you can't do that if you're teaching a class where I have these 180 content standards and I have to hit every single one before the end of the year or this exam, right? Like, I don't know how long it's going to take my kids to learn and it was funny, you know, I'm leading a workshop right now and we were, it just came up, uh, you know, an hour ago, we were talking about the idea of pacing. How do you do modeling and, and keep to the district pacing that's going on? And mm. I, you know, that's, that's a huge conversation that has to happen about why is there a pacing guide when your students should be the important thing. You should go at the pace that they are understanding and they can develop their knowledge and mm. if you push kids to move on before they're ready to understand, that's really going to come back and, and hurt you later on because 
they haven't developed a foundation and you've built, you're now building a building that is going to just crumble because they haven't figured things out. So that's, you know, I think that's a, a, a large criticism sometimes that I hear of modeling is like, well, it's so slow at the beginning. And it is, but at the same time, if I look at, at my IB students when it comes to May of their exam year, they're able to, to think very deeply about things and identify, you know, the important what, what models apply? What ways can I think about this? How can I think about things differently uh, and creatively in order to solve a solution? And, I mean, that's the kind of kids I want being the leaders of our country in the future is these kids who can think deeply about stuff and, and know that they have the, the mental capacity to, to back up their ideas with evidence and critically think through problems. So for me, that's, that's what I say is learning developing yeah. the ability to communicate with others, share your ideas, evaluate whether ideas are good or if we need to like revise our ideas to be fitting with the the, the observations that we're making, right? That's awesome. Um, I've talked with a lot of modelers, and I think uh, many would agree with you that that is uh, a critical point in the classroom. Can you tell us a little bit about some of the tools that you use to accomplish that in your classroom, that collaborative learning, uh, you know, I don't know if you use like whiteboards or, you know, how, you know, the kind of, some of the tools that you use. Sure, yeah. Uh, whiteboarding is obviously, um, as, as most modelers do, is a, a, a critical component. I, I like uh, using a whiteboard to have groups communicate their ideas or develop ways of understanding. Um, and it's a really good way to be able to make your thinking visible um, and compare ideas in a, in a quick way. Um, you know, there's lots of different whiteboarding techniques um, that get used that are not the same. You could have some jigsawing where everyone like kind of completes a bit of the board as they move around. Um, you know, gallery walk, people look at, create a board and they walk around and make comments and try to figure out some questions that they have as well as, you know, more, uh, presentation style where kids are looking at that, but that's definitely a thing that we use uh, a lot. Um, I've also done, uh, I do uh, blogs with my students. So with my freshmen, I have a, a uh, reflective blog that they do once a week. Um, and they just think about things that sometimes might be content-related, sometimes might be more about them as a learner or, or different things like that. And hmm. um, I usually get to the point where I have them share each other's blogs, and so they can actually take the conversation deeper outside of my classroom, which is kind of cool. Uh, it doesn't work for every kid, but there's a lot of kids that really have enjoyed it and like that reflective piece. Um, so I think that's, that's an important aspect of it as well. You know, and then, like I said, uh, learning is not a solo thing. So it's, it's group work pretty much all the time in my class. We're doing uh, lots of small group discussions or even, you know, in the middle of a discussion, if I get a lull, it's like, hey, check your neighbor. Let's see what's going on and, and then see how we can move the conversation further. Um, so it's, it's very collaborative. It's, it's uh you know that that I think is probably the most important aspect of my class. There's very, very seldom will you come into my classroom and see that the kids are working independently on something. If you were talking to uh, someone who's considering going to a modeling workshop, what would you say to encourage them to follow that path? Uh, it's it's uh, 
it's the best professional development you'll ever take. I think the biggest uh, problem that I think most people have about coming to a modeling workshop is that most modeling workshops are about three weeks long, and that's a huge investment in time to go to it. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, for me, it, it's, it was invaluable. Like, I, I don't know of anything that I've done that has changed my teaching more than taking a modeling workshop and developing this uh, community of educators that all think passionately about student learning and student achievement and want the best for our kids and want our kids to be scientific thinkers. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's an unbelievable experience and um, it's, it's a bit humbling. It's a bit frustrating because I know after I took my first workshop, I was like, what the heck? Where has this been hiding? How have I not known about this? And why uh, did it take me this long to go through yeah. it? There's, there's an interesting uh, dynamic in modeling workshops that happens around day eight or nine where spontaneously it almost becomes a uh, science teacher's anonymous. You know, I've been teaching for 10 <laughs> years and I can't believe um, yeah. what I did. Uh, you know, so it's, that's a, a fun part of it. But, you know, it's such a rewarding group and community to to be associated with and to challenge your ideas of of teaching and being able to have a group of teachers that you can just sit and talk about pedagogy and and how students learn and and how best to to do that um it's it's just an unbelievable feeling so uh are you a member of amta i am i yep i'm a life member from a few years ago and uh yeah i enjoy um what they've done and i appreciate um the amta for for keeping modeling on the forefront and and trying to um you know keep growing this community of teachers and and getting things going that way yeah other than the uh modeling workshops which they are heavily involved with promoting and equipping uh have you found other benefit from your membership there um you know yeah the the people that i've worked with and and um the modeling workshop in in 2017 i connected with a, a bunch of people we started writing a new um curriculum using the computational modeling for physics first uh, with Bootstrap, mm. and that's actually um, what I'm working on this week with a, a workshop for that. Um, it was it's great to develop this new way of new representation, I guess, of, of adding that computational piece into the freshman physics. Um, and you know, it's it's something that I use with my students now, and I'm really enjoying the connection and the way to to move something that I think is fundamentally important to our society, like you know. Before I started the computational uh, modeling piece in my fr- uh, freshman physics, uh, you know, there really wasn't any computational computer science program in my school at all as, as the IB school. Mm-hmm. Um, there just wasn't anything there. And due to uh, developing this, you know, I've used it for three or four years now, and now we have a robust computer science program in my in my school and I think a lot of that was from students saying hey we started this in freshman year I want to learn more about coding and how to do this and I think that's Mm. exciting to give kids this opportunity that even if they don't go into computer science like the the computational pieces that they get 
they can start to understand some of the logic of coding and being able to to move that into something that you know maybe they can make an app for their phone or maybe they can figure some things out that um, it, at least it opens the the door to explore there so you know opportunities like that and developing some new ideas um, is has been great that AMTA has been there and available to do that yeah to help us with those things that's great so I, I would love for you to share with our listeners like your best teaching tip or your best modeling tip what you would just share with other teachers say hey this is the the big thing that I've discovered. I have found that every time that my like I'm leading a discussion with my class and things aren't going well, I figured out that the problem was me. <laughs> I'm always the problem. If my kids aren't talking, it's because I'm doing too much or I'm saying too much or I'm I'm not um you know, I'm not allowing them to really explore and talk to each other. Um, and I found that the best solution to this is to walk away. I go and find something to clean in my room or I sit at my desk and pretend I'm ignoring them. And I just <laughs> leave the circle altogether. Huh. And all of a sudden, magic happens pretty much without fail every time that I think, oh, this conversation could not get any worse. I take myself out of it and it gets better. So I would say if you're struggling with with anything, you're doing too much and your kids need to be able to uh, make it through without you. Wow. That's really cool, Brian. Yeah, I that's, gotta, that's my biggest takeaway. That, that's awesome. I, um, I think you told me those are bowling balls in the hallway. They are bowling balls. Yeah, we're doing bowling. <laughs> we're, we're bowling in the hallway right now, so I apologize. I, I'm trying to be in a, a quiet room and, and, you know. No, it's great. We, it's, we, it's been very clear, but, but it kind of sounds like thunder or something rolling in the background. <laughs> it, it does, yeah. We're, we're playing broom ball right now. We just started our forces unit, so they're out there. Uh, we've got teachers running around with bowling balls and brooms around the hallways of the university building right now. It's great that, fun. That's awesome. Well, awesome. hey, man, it has been really great talking with you. I uh, have enjoyed it very much, and I think it's been very informative, insightful. And I really appreciate you taking the time to spend with us today on this podcast. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks. Yeah, it's been a pleasure talking to you, and I appreciate everything that you're doing. I love the podcast, and thanks for doing what you do. Ah, Thank you, Brian, and for doing what you're doing with our kids. It's wonderful appreciate it so very much thank you and hopefully we'll talk to each other sometime and there goes the the bowling ball in the background (laughs) it's it's getting it's getting festive out there absolutely you you take care (laughs) all right thanks so much for joining us on another episode of science modeling talks Head over to sciencemodelingtalks.com and you'll be able to listen to any of our archived episodes and access our show notes, which include guest bios, show highlights, and links to resources that were mentioned during the interview. While you're there, subscribe to our show so you won't miss out on any of our episodes. When you join this community through our email list, we'll send you a link to a lot of awesome resources from the American Modeling Teachers Association. Okay, so that's our show. As always, remember to keep striving for excellence in your classroom.